Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Living Well with Janet, where we explore what it means to live well. I'm your host, Janet, a yogi, meditator, plant-forward eater, and all-around wellness enthusiast. I'm also a second-generation Asian-American woman, an experimenter, and a deep thinker. Join me in my conversations and contemplations on the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, social, and environmental aspects of living well. On a recent episode of ABG, I shared that I had a conversation with a matchmaker who offered me the tip to practice flirting more in 2024. Well, we are about a week away from Valentine's Day. So here with me today to offer some more advice is matchmaker Cassindi Chow. Cassindi comes from a family of matchmakers. She is a former Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Equities research analyst and happily married mother of three, but caught the matchmaking bug in college, matching dozens of couples at the Wellesley College Asian Association Blind Date Semi-Formal. She believes in deep, purposeful connections based on shared values and common goals. So welcome to Living Well with Janet. Cassindi, thank you so much for being here. Janet, thank you so much. I am so excited to chat with you again. And I wanted to hear more about your dating story and how, you know, 2024, Year of the Dragon is exciting. Yes. Well, I guess before we get into kind of more of the specifics of my catch-ups, I do want to, I because I personally am really curious when you shared that you come from a family of matchmakers. What exactly does that mean? Can you share with our listeners, like who in your family line were matchmakers? Were the skills kind of passed down to you through formal like lessons? How does all that work? So it was more informal, you know, for example, that I had found out that my mom, when my dad came out from Taiwan for his PhD in the U.S., she had set up with all the grad students these um, <laughs> watch the moon festivals or yeah. <laughs> basically they would nibble on pastries and watch the moon and she'd invite all of her girlfriends and have my dad invite all of his fellow PhD student friends and that way she'd match them up. So I remember as a kid, I was flower girl for so many weddings. And one of my earliest memories was my mom sewing another flower girl outfit for me. And that was kind of her reward was I was the flower girl. My grandmother, I know, had another person help carry notes, mm. like little love notes back in Shanghai oh. and later on Taiwan with the carry notes between people. Because back then it was really hard unless the families were involved it was hard, so they would have they would pass notes back and forth. So it was more of kind of an informal versus a uh, like a like a career path. Yeah, but we've always had it in our in our DNA. 
That is amazing. I mean, I think a lot of these, whether you want to call it a career or kind of like your life's work, it makes sense that the training kind of happens maybe a bit informally. And if you grow up around it and you see just kind of the way that your mother and your grandmother, the way that they interact, perhaps just um, there is some some maybe like less formal way of knowing when maybe two people will be a good match and how to set up the right setting for those that kind of chemistry to happen. So curious from the work that you do, what do you think constitutes a good match between two people? Um, and I know that's like a super open-ended question, but just curious from your perspective and the type of matchmakings that you that you do, like what makes two people a good match? What do you think is like a number one trait of compatibility? So I think what's important to me for, for, for a match is safety. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is unconditional love. Because I think if we are loved unconditionally, then we feel safe, right? We can be our own authentic self. And I think that's important because otherwise you mm-hmm. get resentments and you, things will fester. So the reason why I think that's important is also for the Asian American experience. Many of us come from parents who came over from Asia mm-hmm. and some of the expectations in the way of child rearing was conditional. There are a lot of conditional mm-hmm. expectations put on us. And we had discussed this earlier But what it means is that when we ourselves are now coming out into the dating world, we don't necessarily know what to model. And so sometimes you have people that are matched together because they have similar life goals and similar achievements, Mm. but yet they don't love each other unconditionally. So it's a little bit long-winded, but I think the number one factor that for me is important in a really great match is unconditional love. I think because of modern dating culture, a lot of us are so kind of profile and list driven. And it's interesting to hear you say that it's maybe less about the particular things on paper or the, you know, like particular like characteristics, but more about someone's ability to be in that relationship and to foster like a sense of safe love. Thinking of like the traits and the characteristics when you're matching two people together, are there things that you see that tend to work better together? that maybe could gauge whether someone will be able to offer the type of conditional love that the other person would need in that form to receive, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, you know, when I talk to clients, I spend a lot of time digging underneath, right? Underneath Mm -hmm. the hood. And it's not just about, you know, their job, their college, their achievements, their home, their cars. You know, for a lot of us, we we, we have that as our facade, as our armor. Mm. So I really try to dig underneath because, look, I'm not in this for repeat business, right? My goal Mm. is I love weddings. I love great relationships. And also don't forget children get involved. And so you don't want them to be, have parents who are unhappily married. So I really dig hard to kind of find where their vulnerabilities are. Mm. For example, when you have a client who says, oh, I have to have a person who went to these colleges or is well-educated. Then sometimes it points to maybe they felt inadequate when they mm, were growing up right, about right. not being good enough. So there's certain things. It, it, it is people's person specific. Yeah. But I've seen enough themes now, especially working with Asian Americans, that you kind of see these things again and again. So you know what to watch out for. That's a really good point. And that's actually something that I thought a lot about in my the last couple of relationships that I was in, or just not even formal relationships, just like love interest pursuits, I did start picking up on what are the things that I tend to be, I'm saying I'm really attracted to. And I'm like, why? And a lot of that like competency and intelligence. And I realized, yeah, it's because I was really taught to value that. And I still have a lot of insecurities around my own 
you know, a sense of like level of intelligence, being competent. And so to some level, having a partner who has a degree from a certain school or works at a certain company will make me feel more secure in that lacking that I think about myself. So I definitely resonate with that a lot. And I'm curious if you can share, because you you work specifically with a lot of like Asian American successful professionals, what are some of these other kind of common struggles that you might see in your work? Well, first of all, before I go into that question, I just wanted to say, Jana, I think you should also look at yourself and give yourself a pat on the back for what you've done in terms of having a transformative career that I'm Mm. sure was different than what your parents had originally expected for you when they were having you. You were in UC San Diego, right, with a degree in mathematics or economics or Mm -hmm. something like that. I was reading that. So, you know, I think part of it is think of yourself as like a coming as like a butterfly coming out of a of a cocoon, right? Mm. You're a chrysalis. Sorry, what was your question again? Well, I appreciate that. I, I know like um, just identifying that like with a lot of the Asian American clients that you work with, you'll see that someone's vulnerability might be a sign of some form of a characteristic that is good to connect them with someone else, right? And I'm curious in your other clients, like what are some of these kind of typical hangups or vulnerabilities that we as Asian American people tend to have because of the cultural impact of how we were raised? And how do you use that when finding a partner? Like, would you would you suggest me almost avoid so- to look for someone who, you know, like earn those like high degrees and things like that? Because that's like, that would be me seeking to fulfill myself through my partner. I think the main thing, Janet, is just to know yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's wonderful people who have great degrees who are perfectly yeah. fine. So I wouldn't, you know, but it's not the deciding factor, right? Mm-hmm. The deciding factor is really what happens when you take the guy home and unwrap him, right? That's, mm. that's you know, you have to live with the person and that's what really matters. Right, right. But I think there's a lot of things that we see too, because sometimes you have a lot of great men, Asian men, Asian American men who were programmed by the parents to, you know, to go to all the good schools, but they are in careers that they're not that happy about. And sometimes mm. they will want to make changes or make shifts. And that's something that you as a potential partner would also, if you unconditionally love them, if they wanted to switch from computer science or from investment banking to art or architecture, you would also mm. support them there too. Because I think we all have a lot of our inner hearts of inner things that we want to do that we may have submerged that in the name of being good sons or good daughters. Yeah. Another thing also is, you know, <laughs> never underestimate the impact of the Asian mom, you know, yes. on, their, okay. on their sons. Right. Yes. So if I if I'm dating usually like Asian men, what are things to know about their relationship with their mother that would help inform that would help inform me, I guess, as if I'm like trying to look for a partner and then as I'm developing a relationship with that person? Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. 
do think it's important to see how a son treats their mother, mm. right? I think that's important. And there should be mutual respect. And it also depends on the mother too, right? There's some mothers that are pretty difficult and there's some, you know, they're not. But I think it's, I think a healthy relationship is good. But the thing is, at the end of the day, the son has to individuate from the mother. They have to split off. And because their number mm. one role really is to protect their own nuclear family, which includes you, mm. right? And there is a, especially because of, you know, again, we're, we're an immigrant culture because the old way in a way was, and it's again, this is not a generalization, but it was like, oh, well, we're mothers. We raise our children. We suffer on their behalf. Mm. We do all these things for them, right? So there's a bit of this whole kind of selflessness culture. So then the expectation is now the kids have a bit of a guilt. Oh, right, mom right. sacrificed so much. So that's the dynamic. But meanwhile, now you boom, bring it into modern day. You're in LA, you know, I'm in Bay Area. And how do you reconcile that with a healthful relationship? This next generation, they have to individuate. So it's a letting go and it's painful. A lot of mothers mm. don't do it. A lot of sons suffer. Same thing with daughters, same thing. It's, a, mm. it's an adjustment. And I think again, with unconditional love, if you as a parent also unconditionally love your children, then you learn to just eat crow and let it go. Because yeah, that's mm. what happened to me. I'm like, what? But you let it go because you want them to expand and be themselves. You know, and I think yeah. that's that's this inflection point that we're all dealing with. And us as children, us, you know, I my my parents also loving them back and saying, look, mom, dad, I still love you. Right. But I'm going to go off on my own and do my own thing mm. and marry my own person, not the one that you chose. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely I hear kind of the that way of thinking. I'm curious. So it's like, how do you actually do that? Like, is it through a conversation? Does it happen when and at what point of the relationships, I guess, does does that does it make sense to kind of like help that along? Oh, yeah. Again, that's an easy <laughs> question. I think it depends. I think it has to come from us, from the younger, I mean, well, you're the younger, from, from you and your future partner, that they have to learn to draw the lines. And mm. it's like exercising a boundary muscle, right? It's exercising mm. a boundary muscle to be able to say, hey, ma, this guy doesn't have this, doesn't have that, but I'm okay with it, right? Mm. Or she doesn't have this, and I'm okay with that. And you have to kind of push back. But it's hard, right? Yeah. It's not something we're used to. So I think it's a muscle you have to practice. Oh, interesting. So you're even saying in the beginning stages where if I'm like just sharing with my parents someone that I'm interested in and like not even in a relationship with them, but just drawing the line would be being able for me to make a decision for myself and not really rely on like if they were like, oh, this person doesn't have that or they didn't come from that school or they don't have that, that perhaps not letting that impact my decision for myself so much. I think that's really important because otherwise mm -hmm. they'll nag and you'll hear it in your in your ear and it'll impact you. Mm -hmm. And that's not healthy because they're not dating the person. They're not getting married to him. You are. Right, right. But it takes practice. And from the flip side, as a parent of, you know, I have young adults as children, I realize that if I nag them, they won't tell me things anymore. Right. 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 And so I've been learning that like, wow, I better just zip my mouth. <laughs> And let them tell me things and let mm. them, you know, and I've now been, I'm friends with my son's ex-girlfriend, the plural, oh. and they tell me about stuff and I just stay friends with them because I want everybody to do well, right? So, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it is what it is, you know? So have you found, I mean, like coming from the parent perspective then, were there conversations that you initiated to help, like, I guess beyond like 
not sharing certain thoughts or trying to kind of let your son decide for himself, did you try to have conversations with him or with their their partners to try to set up that type of relationship? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. You know, and he drew boundaries on me too. And he'd say, no, mom, I'm not going to talk about it. But then, mm-hmm. but then he'll like, oh yeah, I'm, she's coming over. I'm like, oh, great. So I'm like, just waiting like, oh, hi, can we have dinner? <laughs> 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 and, you know, one of them was like, she shows up, you know, first time meeting your boyfriend's mother, and then she has no bra. On. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not like, not like I can't see that. But I'm like, <laughs> but I'm, and I'm like, woo, but I'm trying to be really cool about it. Like, oh, hi, tell me more about you. And like, and yeah. I, you know, <laughs> sorry. No, I, I think like, that's a very real thing. Like, fashion of today is a little bit different, right? And then if you're coming and you're looking at that, you're wondering, wow, what does that say? about the person um and it's very easy to you know to want to interfere (laughs) you know but i've learned just keep your mouth shut because look i I want that helpful relationship with my son i want Mm. him to be comfortable just periodically sharing and he chooses when he wants to share not share yeah yeah and you know the only things i say to him are things like look don't womanize Right. Mm. If you're not going to be with someone, just be honest. And he goes, yeah, Ma, I do that. I'm like, okay. That is a very great, yeah. I mean, and I love that as a as a mother of a son, that that is something that you try to push and that you communicate with him. Because I think that what it means to womanize culturally can mean so many different things as, you know, as dating culture changes throughout different generations. And, um, you know, I think now, especially in modern days with apps, it feels like we have access to so many different options or potential mm-hmm. partners. And sometimes I feel like that has pushed this like setting where romancing and pursuing someone has become kind of lost in all of that. Mm-hmm. And so how do you observe romancing and pursuing someone in today's dating culture? How do you do that like as a man, you know, for a woman without coming off as a womanizer? Because I have a lot of girlfriends who I think will be like, I want him to do these certain things. But sometimes perhaps if he is doing these things for me, is he doing them for someone else? And what does that, I guess, like... I don't know if I'm asking that question more clearly, <laughs> but how do you see, you know, how how does a man be romantic in modern days without coming off as a womanizer? You know, it's it's really difficult because we're in a time of life when women have a lot of economic power, a lot of social power, right? And it used to be before that the man was a protector and then he would you know, take the woman out to dinner. And that's just the, the kind of stereotype. And a lot of women who now are much more strong. And look at colleges. The women are smarter than the men, right? Mm. And then how do you balance that with yet the expectation that the guy be romantic and take you out to dinner? So I think that's a paradigm shift that we all need to take into account and Mm. shift because it doesn't really work anymore. And I will say Mm. this, guys who are romantic or at least know how to take women out to dinner and hold the chair and hold the door, some of them use it as tricks. I see it all the time, you know, and women think that's the be all end all. Like a guy who's got who has great manners can have like dozens of women like going, oh wow, so exactly sweet. to try to analyze like what does it mean to be a gentleman in modern dating culture, right? Because I have seen I will go on dates with people where I feel like they will do all of the things on paper, like pull out the chair for you, open the doors for you. But is that really is that really a like 
you know, maybe by date three or four, I've noticed sometimes they'll stop doing that. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like it's... Yeah, no, exactly. It, it's not authentic. It's not authentic. Yeah. Quite often, great manners or good manners are used as a lure. Yes. Right? Yeah. So I think, so maybe that it would be helpful for me to know, like, as an Asian woman dating in today's culture, like, how do I gauge for if a man is romancing me in an authentic way? And like, what are the ways to look for the signal of of that, I guess? Yeah, so so a couple of things. It goes back to also their relationship with their mother and, and how respectful they are to her mm. as well. And not guilt-based, but how respectful they are. Another thing also, it's just one thing to have basic restaurant manners, et cetera, but also maybe look at ways where they're celebrating you and, and are they good listeners? Right. Mm. Are they really hearing you about like what your needs are? And they're really, you know, like, like one guy had, it was great because, and the woman loved him is because they would tell them him things. And then he would come back like a few days later, go, Oh, I remember you talked about this issue that you had. And I wanted Mm. to give you this thing. Like I wanted you to, you know, read this or something. That's kind of like a sign of like truly caring. Right. Right, Versus just surface manners. That's a great example. To your point about a lot of nowadays, because you have a lot of women who are highly successful, very type A, and maybe the gender roles are starting to flip a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So finding a man with maybe more, quote unquote, traditionally feminine qualities like being able to listen, being able to make someone feel taken care of could actually be a good signal. Are there any other beyond a man who listens well? And then I guess maybe looking more into when you said his re- relationship with his mother as a woman, how do I gauge that without being intrusive? I feel like it'd be kind of wrong to just be like, hey, can you tell me about your mom? And <laughs> what's your relationship <laughs> with your mama? Like, how do I observe that, I guess? You know, at some point in time, for example, I remember, you know, there's stage one, stage two, at some point in time when you interact with the family, you can observe that, see how they interact, mm. right? Is it is it respectful? Uh, you can definitely observe that. You know, the the good listening part is important, but also what kind of friends that they have, right? Mm-hmm. Who do they hang out with? You know, what are their what are their views? Because you know, a lot of times he may put on a facade in front of you, mm-hmm. but you if you meet his friends, you can also get an idea of what their general thinking is. And wasn't there that Google write up about how people are influenced by the five people closest to them? Mm-hmm. So you kind of will get an idea. Like if, if he's a misogynist with great manners and hides it, mm-hmm. but if his friends are misogynist, you'll kind of see it pretty soon. Ah, that is a great tip. I like that you're saying this isn't something that you can sit down on like a first or second date and kind of gauge. You really have to then take the time to probably meet the person's friends, maybe see how they interact with their family and their mother. Because we all have facades, right? We yeah, all put yeah. on a, a front that we want a certain audience to see. Right. But it's what's inside what you're getting at because you're looking at this person for a life partner, not just a, a business friend. Right, right. How long do you think or like how much time to invest in a person (laughs) to figure those things out? Is it like usually you're dating for a couple of months? You know, I think you can figure it out in about five dates. Five And the reason why is this is, but you also have to make sure that your eyeglasses are clean, meaning Mm -hmm. that when you're looking at somebody, a lot of times people will give you, will let you see their true self, but also are you able to believe that or accept that? 
Mm-hmm. You know, for example, you were talking about somebody who is well-educated. And so you're like, wow, well-educated, you know, investment banker, this is great. So meanwhile, maybe he might be a bit, bit of an ass or, mm-hmm. you know, selfish or something like that. Maybe just, you, you don't see it. So you have to make sure your eyeglasses are clean too. Right, right. <laughs> to be honest, something that I think about is I know that there is one way of thinking about the accolades of a person, right? Like where they went to school, where they worked. But there's also certain stereotypes of industries. If someone has worked in, you know, in certain, like I feel like the very competitive industries that does breed a certain type of macho-ness. And if, if that is the world that they're interest or that they're accustomed to operating in, it makes me wonder how they will be as a partner. So even though it's like, it looks great on paper that you've worked at this company in this industry, went to this school, but will that make you, I, I wonder sometimes like, is that, if I want somebody who's sensitive, is that gonna, will he also have those qualities? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily knock off people just because they be play rugby or or things like that. Mm. You know, there's there's other factors in there. Sometimes they need it also just to, you know, to fulfill their own needs as well. So when you say like macho things, like what are you talking about? Is it let's just say they go and play poker mm-hmm. and go to Vegas? <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess some of that. And also it's like I think if they worked in like high finance or in business consulting, I feel like sometimes that can breed a certain like the work culture can call for someone who is like tough rugged and you don't you know like no sensitivity um to get through to be able to to do that kind of thing and i think it makes sense sometimes when someone is spending so much of their life in their career if they're really successful in their career that might be where they've adopted a lot of their behaviors and their value systems that's true i i agree with you on that you know i i would say that if you're looking for somebody yes somebody in those arenas or who thrives in there Mm. chances are they're a little bit more abrasive, aggressive, you know, that's kind of, that's, that's their language. But there's also people who pass through it, meaning who are doing it because it's a great way to, to, to start a career, right? And Mm. then then later on, they could transfer out, like you have lawyers who go in house, you have bankers who then go into wealth manager, you have different transitions. So understand there's also stages in life too. Mm. I mean, I was in investment banking for 10 years, and it was a very abrasive culture. Yeah. And even I changed. Apparently all my girlfriends said I was not very nice then. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. Like you can kind of come out of, um, or perhaps if someone comes from that background, doesn't necessarily mean that that is who they are going to be forever, right? Like sometimes if they are working in that for now, it maybe requires them to be a certain way, but people can change. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I guess along that same line, to your, you know, we were saying that a lot of women nowadays are also working in those environments, right? And so if you are someone, and speaking from, um, this is some of the questions that I got from Instagram that I pulled for women, does being a high-achieving alpha female in today's dating culture, is that, I mean, I think that that just make it a little bit harder sometimes to find the right partner. How would you suggest for some of the women who are trying to date, but maybe they they sometimes feel like the gender role or expectation is a little bit flipped for them or they're having a hard time finding someone who might be expecting them to be, quote unquote, more feminine, um, maybe a little turned off by them being very career driven or maybe a little bit turned off by them being a higher income earner. What are some tips you have for women dating in today's culture like that? So I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is harder. Yeah. Right, it is harder because there's also expectations that Asian men have that get put on them about right. about being the earners, and so then they're kind of trained to be this way. I think part of it is, you know, 
whether you're, you know, knocking out in the C-suite or, you know, you know, a high flyer, you still have vulnerable sides to you, right? We're all, we all have front and back sides. Mm. And I think that, again, showing vulnerability, whether you're male or female to your partner is actually important because then it makes, for example, if you're, you know, always, you know, you know, doing boardroom fights, whatever, and you're doing all this stuff. And then meanwhile, you're like, you need a bellyache. And if your husband or your partner, like, is listening and caring that he feels supportive, that he's supporting you too, and vice versa. So I think that's important to be able to show our vulnerabilities. But I think that a true relationship is about being vulnerable and mm. being helpful to each other. Because whether you're male or female, we all want to feel needed. Mm. Right. And so I think that common that it's easy to say, oh, you're a smart woman, you're a powerful woman, so you don't need anybody. But I think at the end of the day, you also need a partner. You also need someone who loves you unconditionally. You want somebody who also supports you. So to feel needed will make the man, irregardless of whether they're a high earner or low earner, also feel important in your mm. life. So it is harder, but I think once you recalibrate your mindset about it, mm -hmm. then I think there's still a lot of love to be had. I mean, I, you know. Yeah. I like that you focus on being vulnerable. How do we do that? Oh, well, part of it is, okay, so as Asians and Asian men, again, I'm generalizing, we like to help, but we don't want to be helped. So, mm. you know, we're very much like, oh, do it this way, do it that way. I've got the best restaurant for you. But it's harder for us to say, oh, darn, I'm a, I didn't do this well. I need some help. So part of it is, again, practicing that muscle too, of oh. being able to also accept help and not be like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, but also accepting that. So I think it's practicing. Mm. It's a lot of it's a lot of practicing. Um, and, you know, sometimes also putting yourself out there, like sometimes putting yourself out there in a way that may not make you shine that well. Like, mm. OK, I'll give you an example. So I I don't know what it is. I love bargains. Even now, I just go nuts for bargains. And, you know, I told my now husband about regifting. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he's like he's like what? But now he's like, oh, the gift closet. I go, yes, the gift closet. There's certain things that are being silly, but you just have to kind of be able to share about it, right? And that's the vulnerability. But knowing that if you judge me, so be it. But judge me at your own peril, mm. you know, because this is who I am, and that's that. I like that. So it's not because I the first thing I thought about when when you said being vulnerable, it's sitting down and maybe sharing with someone a, about an insecurity. But that's also just talking about it versus being able to live it or act it by maybe asking for help. Or if someone is is giving, offering to help you to accept that help, that does create a level of vulnerability that then allows connection. So that that feels like a really good behavior that I can start putting into practice more. <laughs> well, also, sometimes some guys are not as good communicators. Like you're mm. obviously a very strong communicator. Some people are not. So they don't, they can't hear it. Even mm. though you're telling them I'm vulnerable, they can't hear it. I see. Yeah. So therefore, you know, I, I in my book, I call, or, yeah, yeah, I call it like de no tension, which means you're playing the flute for the cow. Mm. Like you're telling them this, this is how I phrase uh. things. This is how I see it. And the guy's like, yeah, 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 moo, 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 moo. <laughs> but they're not getting it. So sometimes in a way, it can be very granular with examples. Like, you know, I will only buy this if it's on sale. I don't know why it's dumb, but I don't care. That's what I want. And they're like, okay, sure. Right. Whatever. There's different things like, like action items, action methods are sometimes better than 
talking it out because mm -hmm. everybody will say, oh, do you want children? Oh, yeah. Do you want to be a good father? Oh, yeah. What does it mm -hmm. mean to be a good father? Oh, this, this, and this. But to the communicator back, they'll know how to say the right things. But right. you got to really dig into what do they really, really mean? Like, how do they fight? How do they argue? Are they fair? Do they drop boundaries? Do they really know how to drop boundaries? I mean, it goes mm -hmm. on and on. Oh, wow. I have so many more questions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, actually, I'm curious. Like, what is... Because I hear I hear that a lot about um, like it's important to know how to fight well in a relationship. Oh, it's hard. What does that mean? Like how how do you fight well in a relationship? Okay, so Ooh, I hate to leave you all on a cliffhanger, but this conversation ended up being much longer than Cassindy and I anticipated. So join us next time to catch part two. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a Cupid emoji or the one with the heart and the arrow through it in the comments. And if there are any topics you want to hear me cover, please either leave a comment on this episode on Spotify, because now you can do that, or on the post on Instagram, or you can just DM me on Instagram. Once again, this is your host, Janet. I can also be found on Asian Boss Girl, the podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman with my good friends, Helen and Mel, who are also hosting their own shows, which you can catch on the same feed, new episodes every Tuesday. You can follow ABG on Instagram at Asian Boss Girl and me, Janet, at Janet W. That's Janet, the word double, and the letter U. Catch you on the next episode. Bye.